0: سلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم. الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه. ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا. من يحده الله فلا مضل له. ومن يضلله فلا هادي له. ونشهد إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له. ونشهد أن محمد عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثير كثيرا أما بعد who is بالله من الشيطان the one الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وَملائكته يصلون على النبي who is the one who is the one who is Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallaita ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innaka Hamidum Majid Allahumma barik ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innaka Hamidum Majid Respect to listeners once again we gather for the monthly tafsir of the Holy Quran Having started from the end of the Qur'an and completed a number of surats, we find ourselves today with Suratul Al-Qari'ah, the 101st surah of the Qur'an. Again, this is one of those short surahs of the Qur'an which m- most people are familiar with, having memorized it for recitation in their own prayers as well as frequently hearing its recitation in the congregational prayers by the Imams. I'll translate the surah and then inshallah share a few thoughts on it. Al the a Striking One. مَا The Striking One. وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا And what will make you aware of what the striking one is. يَوْمَ يَكُونُ النَّاسُ كَالْفَرَاشِ الْمُبْثُوثِ On the day when people will be like scattered moths. وَتَكُونُ الْجِبَالُ كَالْعِهْنِ الْمَنْفُوشِ and the mountains will be like carded wool. فَأَمَّا So as for one whose scales are heavy, فَهُوَ عِيشَةِ الرَّاضِيَةِ Then he is in a content life. وَأَمَّا And as for one whose scales are light, فَأُمُّهُ هَوِيَةِ So then his abode is the abyss. وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا هِيَ And what will inform you of what it is? نَارٌ حَامِيَ A blazing fire. That's a very simple translation of the words of this surah Al-Qari'ah. Common to Many of the surahs towards the end of the Holy Qur'an and the short surahs, this is a very early Makkan surah revealed in the early days of Islam in Makkah al-Mukarramah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds the people of the day of reckoning, the day of judgment. And the surah has been named Al-Qari'ah from the very first word of the surah Al-Qari'ah, which is repeated three times here. 'ah Al-Qari'ah literally means, well originally Al-Qari'ah means the knocking one, or the strike, or the blow. So it means a blow. It has a meaning of striking, hitting, clefting. So when a hard object is cleft with a hard object, when a hard object is struck onto another hard object, the clang, the strike, the noise, the alarm and the startling that it causes... All of these meanings are incorporated into the words al-qari'ah, the blow, the striking one. So originally it means to hit, uh, to strike, and therefore it means a blow. And elsewhere in the Qur'an, Allah uses the word qari'ah to refer not just to a simple blow, but as a major misfortune and calamity. So, Allah says that for some people, in lieu and as a result of their sins and their disobedience, a misfortune or a blow will continue to befall them. So, a blow can be uh, just a single strike, even in English. The word blow can mean a single strike. And the word blow can also mean a huge calamity and misfortune. So, originally the word Al-Qari'ah means the one that strikes or a blow. And in the wider sense, it can also mean the, uh, a major misfortune or a calamity. And in reality, all of the meanings are applicable to the day of reckoning. Because that's what the discussion is here. Al-Qari'ah, the striking one, whether you translate it as the strike, the blow, the striker, the striking one the calamity, the alarming one, the startling one. All of these translations are valid. But all of them speak of just one thing, which is the day of reckoning. And this is similar to other names given to the day of judgment in the Holy Quran. Single names. So the day of judgment is called Yawm din the day of requital, in the Quran. And other names are given but in terms of single names which are very dramatic and very startling and striking These are names such as Al-Waqi'ah, al haqqa, Al-Sakhah, Al-Tamah, Al-Azifah All of these are names, Al-Ghashiyah, Al-Ghashiyah the overwhelming one, Al-Waqi'ah the occurring one al haqqah the truly occurring one. Al-Dhamma, the all-pervading, all-permeating calamity. Al-Ghashiyah, the overwhelming one. So these are all d- Al-Azifah, the event which is nigh and close and approaching. All of these are names of the Day of Judgment. Al-Azifah, Al-Waqiyah, al haqqah Al-Dhamma, Al-Sakhah, Al-Ghashiyah, and similarly Al-Qari'ah. So Allah says, Al-Qari'ah, the blow. Mal-Qari'ah, or the striking one. Mal-Qari'ah, what is the blow? Wama adraaka mal-Qari'ah. Often this phrase, wama adarak or wama Yudrik is translated loosely as, and what do you know? So, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا الْقَارِعَ And what do you know of the blow, the striking one. So, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ and وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ These sentences, wherever they are mentioned in the Qur'an or the Hadith, this phrase is normally translated as, what do you know? Which is a correct translation, but it's more a meaningful uh, translation rather than a literal one. But a literal one would actually be, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ and will make you aware. This is a translation I made earlier on. Wama أَدْرَاكُ And what will make you aware. What will make you cognizant. What will make you knowledgeable. Or what will give you the information. And I, gave, I rendered it literally to signify that the words are quite strong and dramatic and quite powerful. In that you will never come to know you will never come to realize and nothing or no one can truly make you aware and cognizant and realizing of the reality of yawmul qiyamah even though allah repeats it 3 times here so al qari'ah the great blow mal qari'ah what is the great blow wama adraka al qari'ah And what will inform you of what is the great blow? Despite mentioning all these times, despite asking rhetorically three times, truth is, we will never come to know. We can only gain a glimpse, a very cursory understanding of the truly terrifying nature of the Day of Judgment. And to picture that scene and to portray it for the listeners and the readers, the Quran says, On the day when people will be like scattered moths, and the mountains will be like. Carded wool, fleeced wool, carded in the sense that when you have raw wool and then it's cleaned, refined and combed and the individual strands are separated and fleeced in that manner, this is what's referred to as carded wool. So not even a bundle of wool. but rather separated strands and thin threads, carded wool. Now here, the surah is very brief in describing and depicting the day of reckoning and its terrifying nature. All Allah says is on the day when people will be like scattered moths, And the mountains will be like carded wool. Why suffice with just mentioning this? In reality, there's a greater and much deeper meaning than what may appear uh, initially. Quite simply, what the Qur'an seeks to do here is mention two objects that people are familiar with. Or a few things that people are familiar with. And the two objects are, one, man himself. And two, something solid in Allah's creation. And what's regarded as imposing, as impenetrable, insurmountable, crushing, Overwhelming and overbearing in Allah's creation on earth. These are the rocky mountains. These huge mountains. As far as the earth is concerned, soil can be treated, dug. And even moulded at times. So sand and soil and earth. The crust isn't as hard as... What's beneath, but what's immediately visible and known to man, which is rock solid and which is also used as a metaphor of stability, of steadfastness, of strength, that's a mountain. As firm as a mountain, as solid as a mountain. Even now, with our modern day technology and science and engineering, It's far easier to travel to space and to dive to the depths of the ocean and to bore into the ground for many thousands of feet. It's far easier to achieve all of these things and even fly through the air than it is to penetrate a mountain. Even with modern day technology and engineering, the most insurmountable, the most resilient, the most solid and impenetrable object for human beings is a mountain. So on the one hand we have the mountain. On the other, man regards himself as maybe not the strongest physically, but through his intelligence and his mastery of the sciences. As someone who, through his Understanding and intelligence gains a control over the elements of the earth, even over the mountains. So man prides himself on his intelligence, on his coherent thoughts, on his abilities. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in depicting the day of reckoning, gives us an account of just two things – One, human beings, and two, the mountains. As far as human beings are concerned, we regard ourselves as being very organized, orderly, intelligent. Look at the way human beings organize themselves in contrast to the beasts and birds of the animal kingdom. And yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, on that day, human beings... Despite their intelligence and their steadfastness, and their coherent thinking, and their order and organization, on that day, human beings will be scattered, like scattered moths. And the Qur'an describes human beings in two similar ways in different verses of the Qur'an. Here, Allah says yawma yakunu an-nas mabthuth on the day when man, when people will be like scattered moths and insubut al qamar Allah azza wa jalla says fatawalla anhum yawma yad'u da'i ila shay'in nukur khash'an absaruhum yakhrujun min al ajdath kaannahum jaradun muntashir muhtaeen ila da'i Allah says addressing the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, leave them, O Messenger of Allah, turn away from them. For on the day when the caller shall call them to a terrible thing, their eyes will be downcast and they will emerge from the graves. Here, Allah is portraying one of the scenes of the Day of Reckoning when people shall emerge from their graves. يوم يخرجون al الأجداث، when they shall emerge from their graves، in what manner كأنهم جراد منتشر، as though they are scattered locusts، مهتعين إلى الداع، racing towards the caller. so here in that verse Allah describes people as being like gathered locust oh sorry scattered locusts. Or spread locusts, and here Allah describes people as being like scattered moths. And the two depictions, the two descriptions, are very different. Over there, what Allah mentions is that they emerge from their graves and head straight for the caller. As Allah says, ila Shayin nukur on the day when the caller shall call them to a terrible thing. They will emerge with their eyes downcast, as though they are gather, uh, scattered locusts. مُطِعِينَ Iladar hurtsling Hurtling towards, racing and rushing towards the caller. So, they will be drawn, despite their fear, in their fear, they will be drawn, sorry, despite their fear, they will be drawn. And called by the caller, they will be drawn to the caller as though possessing no control over themselves. But they will still be racing and rushing in one direction towards the caller. And that particular scene is there. The Quran doesn't speak of confusion. Not so much confusion when it, when it speaks of lo- of people being like locusts. What it describes as people in their multitudes, in their huge numbers, like a swarm of locusts. Now, locusts, even now locusts, don't fly haphazardly in every direction. Locusts are very focused, and they travel and they fly in a huge group, as a huge swarm, heading in one direction, specifically for the fields that they often rampage through and ravage. So, and here, and moths... How are moths? What are moths like? They don't fly in huge swarms. But the one thing that you can say about moths is that they fly haphazardly, randomly, and in a state of confusion, often heading straight for danger, where they see light and flame. So the flight of moths is one of confusion and haphazardness. And one of misdirection. And the flight of the locusts is one of a huge swarm and overwhelming numbers and multitudes, but heading in one direction. Mm-hmm. So you have both descriptions. That first description of people emerging from their graves as though they, they are scattered locusts is of the earlier stage. This is of a late stage. When people will be in a state of confusion. And just like moths, scattered, flying in all different directions, often bumping and colliding with each other, and heading straight for danger. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that these two things, one human beings and mountains, this will be their state, so what would be the state of other things? As far as human beings are concerned, despite their coherence, their cogent thinking, their order, their organisation, their intelligence, they will be in an utter state of confusion, as though they are scattered moths. That's as far as human beings are concerned. Despite their intelligence, despite their control of themselves and control of the environment and the world around them, and despite their control of the animals and the birds and the beasts, they will be so out of control themselves on the day of reckoning that in their state of bewilderment and confusion they will be hurtling in all different directions like scattered moths. And as far as one of the most sturdy and resilient and impenetrable objects of Allah's creation is concerned, the mountains, what will be the state of the mountains? These huge mountains that serve as pegs for the rolling earth. For the volatile earth. These same mountains are impenetrable, sturdy, overwhelming, imposing, overbearing, mighty, majestic. These same mountains will be reduced to tufts of carded wool floating through the air. And the Quran describes three stages of the mountains. First, they will be reduced to rubble. A mound of rubble. Then they will be carded, wool floating through the air, on a summer's day, when we see pollen and similar items just floating through the air, buds and pollen, etc. Quran describes the mountains as being in that state, but that's an intermediary state. Later, even the, the mountains won't even remain. As tufts of carded wool or even wisps, the Quran says of the mountains that they will be like a mirage. They will disappear. So that's a state of the most, of the sturdiest and the most imposing and overbearing and impenetrable and the strongest of Allah's creation. So what will be the state of the rest of creation? It will be a scene of mayhem and destruction. إِذَا الشَّمْسَ النُّجُومٌ كَدَرَتْ إِذَا السَّمَاءُ فَطَرَتْ الْكَوَاكِبُ تَثَرَتْ إِذَا السَّمَاءُ These are all different verses of the Qur'an that describe the scenes of mayhem and dest- carnage and destruction and the collapse of the universe and its whole order. The sun, the sky, the heavens, the moon, the stars, the earth, the mountains. Here Allah only describes two things. So al qariatu Mal-Qari'ah Wa Ma Adraka mal The Great Calamity. What is the great calamity? And what will make you aware of what is a great calamity? On the day when people will be like scattered moths. And the mountains will be like carded wool. And suddenly... We see a dramatic shift from a description of the Day of Judgment to the scales of reckoning on the Day of Judgment. So, as for one whose scales will be heavy, meaning on that day, so he will be in a life content. Meaning, in Jannah. And as for one whose scales are light. So his abode will be the abyss. And what will inform you? What will make you aware of what the abyss is? What it is? In reality, نَرُمْ A blazing fire. Quran is very eloquent, and one needs to study each of the words and their correlation, each of the verses and their correlation, the order, the sequence, the language used, the phonetics, even. Even the phonetics. Look at the beginning of the surah: Al Qari'atu ma'l Qari'ah wa ma'adrakam al Qari'ah. The blow. What is the blow? And what we make you aware of what is the blow? A single word, a single striking word to describe the Day of Judgment. Al-Haqa, Al-Sakha, Al-Tama, Al-Ghashiyah, Al-Azifah, Al-Waqiyah. And here Al-Qari'ah, a striking one. And I say that the Qur'an is very eloquent because here, look at the words. Allah says, amman وَأَمَّا مُنْ خَفَّتْ مُوَازِينُهُ فَأُمْهُ هَاوِيَةٌ As for one whose scales are heavy. What's the first thing that comes to our mind? That he or she will be in Jannah. But the Qur'an doesn't mention Jannah. The Qur'an mentions the results of Jannah the corollary of Jannah, which is, so he whose scales are heavy, فَهُوَ فِي الراضية, The Qur'an doesn't say he will be in Jannah, but فَهُوَ فِي الراضية, He will be in a life content. Then, the converse would be, the opposite would be, موازينه, And as for one whose scales are light, so, since the Quran mentions earlier that the ones whose the one whose scales will be heavy will be in a life content, here one would assume that the Quran would say in opposite that he or he will be in a life miserable. But no, the Quran here mentions a place and says for ummuhu hawiyah, so his abode is the abyss. So we have all four meanings in just two verses. We have a life content, where? In Jannah. But Jannah is not mentioned explicitly, but it's meant implicitly. And then in the next verse, we have a li- not a life miserable, but the actual abode of the fire of Jahannam. But that's mentioned explicitly, but the implicit meaning is the result of a life miserable. So... It makes much more sense in the Arabic language. In any case, this is the way the Quran describes a person's destiny on the Day of Judgment. And Allah reduces it all to just two things or just to one thing the scales of justice on the Day of Judgment. This is what this is what it will come to accountability and reckoning. And this is what life on earth is about. As Allah says in Surah Al-Mulk: Alladhi khalaqa al-mauta wal-hayata liyabluwakum ayyukum ahsanu amala. He who created life and death itself. Or death and life in that order. Alladhi khalaqa al-mauta wal-hayat. He who created death and life. Why? Liyabluwakum so that he may test you اَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ Amala, Who of you is the best in deeds? This is what it will come to. Our whole life, with all its joys and sorrows, its miseries and misfortunes, and its memories, with all its moments of happiness, its trials and tribulations, its achievements and accomplishments, and its failures, its happiness and its sadness. Our whole life, Will come to just one thing. Will this pan of the scale be heavy or will that pan of the scale be heavy? Will our scales be heavy with good deeds or light with good deeds? And this is what this is all that it will come to, and that's what the Quran summarizes here. Fa wa for and Allah mentions elsewhere in the Quran in Surah Al-A'raf, "Wal waznu yawma idhin al-haq, faman thaqalat mawazinuhu faulaikahum al-muflihun. Wa man khaffat mawazinuhu faulaikal ladhin Allah says, وَالْوَزْنُ يَوْمَ الْحَقِّ and the way on that day is the truth. "Faman thaqalat so whoever's scales are heavy, فَأُولَئِكَ then these are the ones who are successful. and whoever's scales are light, then these are the ones who have lost their souls. خَسِرُوا أَنْفُسَهُمْ Allah says they have lost their souls. Why? بِمَا كَانُوا بِآيَاتِنَا Because they were they were unjust. And wrongful to our Traditionally there was a discussion. And in fact in the early days of Islam. Some of the rationalists. Promulgated the view that. Such verses and such hadith. About scales of justice and the weighing of deeds. Were to be interpreted metaphorically. For in their view. Deeds cannot be weighed. These are abstracts. These are abstract things. And being abstracts, how can deeds be weighed? They have no shape, they have no form, and therefore no weight. And no properties per se. So being abstracts, how could they be weighed? So a huge debate ensued uh, as a result of which... Uh, books and tomes and volumes were filled with polemical discussions to such an extent that this actually became a, an article of faith and an article of creed, which the ulama and the scholars uh, who wrote in theology and on the creed of the Muslims, they actually specified this as a point, that we believe in the scales of justice on the Day of Judgment. And the manner of belief is such that these aren't allegorical, metaphorical terms. But rather, there will be scales on the Day of Judgment. So I was mentioning, well, I'd just like to mention that traditionally there was this debate. Because the rationalists argued that deeds being abstracts could not be weighed. They had no shape or form. But in light of modern-day science and technology, the debate has become redundant. And one of the arguments of the traditional rationalists was that deeds can't be captured. Since they have no shape or form, they can't be captured. Modern technology, recording equipment, audio-visual recording equipment, and even quantum physics and mechanics... This whole debate has become redundant. I won't mention it either. So, the Quran simply says, The scale, the weighing on that day is true. So, whoever scales are heavy, these are the ones who are successful, and whoever scales are light, then these are the ones who have lost their own souls. They haven't just lost their wealth, and their families, and their loved ones. They've lost their own life. In fact, they've lost their own souls. <coughs> and there are many hadith which speak of the scales of justice on the day of judgment, and how this will be. In one hadith, which is quite famous, related by Imam Tirmidhi in his and Imam Ahmad ibn Muhammad in his muslim and by others, famously known as the Hadith al-Bitaqa. Rasulullah says, related by Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Asa He says the Prophet sallallahu said, on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will select and call out one individual from his creation. One servant. So, in the multitudes of people, on the plain... Of reckoning on the day of judgment, Allah will publicly select and call out and summon one individual before everybody. So the servants will be summoned, and then his book of—I wouldn't say book, but his register of deeds—will be produced before him. These are the words of the hadith. His register of deeds. And it won't be one register. There will be 99 registers of his deeds. And each one will be rolled out in front of him. And how far will it be rolled out? That each register, the scroll of each register, will be rolled out so far that it will stretch... To the furthest horizon as far as the sight can see. That would be each register. And there would be 99 of them. And all of these 99 registers, each one of which would be rolled out to the extent of people's sight. Would be full of evil deeds. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressing the same servant will say to him. Do you deny any of this? And he will say no. Allah will then ask him. Did my recording scribes, my angels, who recorded everything. Were they unjust to you in any way in their registering and recording of your misdeeds? And he will say no. Then Allah will ask him. Do you have any plea to make, any excuse, any defense of your misdeeds? And he will say no. The the servant will despair. And remember, this is a spectacle before the whole of creation. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will announce that I have one deed of his. I have one good deed of his. And then a small bitaqah, this is why the hadith is famously known as hadithul bitaqah. A small bitaqah will be produced. And a is like a chit, meaning chitti. Uh, a small rukah. A rukah means a small note. And ruqayah means a smaller, smaller note. So it's a bitaqah simply means a very small note. Maybe enough for one line. And it doesn't just mean card. In modern day in modern standard Arabic, one of the more famous meanings of bitaqa is a card. But it's not so much a card, just a label or a piece of paper, a small chit. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will announce that I have one good deed of his. And then a small piece of paper, the bitaqa, a small label, a card will be produced. And on it will be written... أَنْ لَا إِلَٰهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then tell the servant, come, witness your the weighing of your deeds. Witness the weighing of your deeds. And how will they be weighed? 99 registers, each one of which will be rolled out to the horizon and will be as far as... The extent of people's sides. So, on the one hand, on one pan of the scale, will be ninety-nine registers of his sins, and on the other will be this one single paper with "Ashadu Allah Ilaha Illallah wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah" the Kalima. So, the servant, in his despair, will say, "Oh, my Lord, how can this one?" small piece of paper and one good deed equate with the 99 registers of my misdeeds. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, witness the weighing of your deeds and then the 99 registers will be p- placed on one pan of the scale and the kalimah will be p- placed on the other pan. The words of the hadith, Rasulullah says, the, the pan with the kalimah will fall down in its weight. And fatashat sijillat the word is, almost as though the registers will fly off. Fatash. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will announce, oh sorry, that the ending of the hadith is, that nothing is weightier than the name of Allah Nothing is weightier than the name of Allah And Imam Bukhari He famously ends his book of hadith With A famous hadith from Sayyidina Abu Hurairah Related by Imam Muslim And many others But I mention this because this is the final hadith Of Sahih al-Bukhari And the chapter The chapter heading is باب ونضع الموازين القسط اليوم القيامة فلا تظلم نفس شيئا till the end of the verse and before i mention the final hadith let me mention the verse this is another verse of the quran which speaks of the scales of justice on the day of judgement allah azza mm-hmm. wa says in suratul anbiya ونضع الموازين القسط ليوم الْقِيَامَةِ فلا تظلم نفس شيئا وان كان مثقال حَبَّةٍ من خردل اتينا بها وكفى بِنَا حَاسِبِينَ Allah says, and we shall place the scales of justice on the day of reckoning, on the day of resurrection. فَلَا تُظْلَمُ نَفْسٌ شَيْئًا So no soul shall suffer any injustice. And subhanAllah, one of the things I just forgot to mention as part of that hadith is, that when Allah says to the servant... Or he announces that I have one deed, one good deed of his. And then it is said to him that come, witness the weighing of your deeds. And he in despair utters, O my Lord, how can this one paper and this one kalima equate with the 99 registers of my sins? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually says to him, this day you shall suffer no injustice. Then... The kalimah will be placed on one pan, and the ninety-nine registers of sins on the other. Mm-hmm. So here in Surah Anbiya, Allah Azza wa says, "And we shall place the scales of, we shall erect and set up the scales of justice on the day of resurrection." فَلَا So no soul shall suffer any injustice in the least. وَإِنْ كَانَ مِثْقَالَ حَبَّةٍ مِنْ خَرْدَلٍ أَتَيْنَا بِهَا And even if it is something to the measure and the weight of a single mustard seed, we shall produce it. وَكَفَى بِنَا حَاسِبِينَ And we are sufficient as reckoners. Allah speaks in the regal noun, we are sufficient as ones to reckon, as accountants. Allah says he will produce every single thing. In fact, in one verse of Surah Al-Kahf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that people, when they shall see their deeds, They will actually, excla- when they will see their deeds, all recorded and registered, every single thing, they will exclaim, what is it with this book that he has not spared and left out anything major or minor except that it has recorded it and Allah says and they will discover and find everything that they have done present in front of them and your Lord will not be unjust to anyone so Allah says, even if it's something to the measure and the weight of a single mustard seed, we shall produce it, and we are sufficient as reckoners, as accountants. And in Surah Al-Zalzalah, what does Allah Azzawajal say? مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ يَرَهُ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ يَرَهُ So whoever performs any good deed to the weight and the measure of a ذَرَّة now what's a dharrah? It's mentioned in both instances. A in Arabic literally means the smallest thing. And so dharra is referred to as a seed. A single seed is referred to as dharra. A grain, a single grain is referred to as dharra. An ant is referred to as dharra. A small insect is referred to as Dharrah. But dharrah simply means The smallest thing visible or known to man So the Arabs would call An <coughs> ant dharra, A grain dharrah A seed dharra, A speck dharra, A speck of dust dharrah A single grain of sand dharra. In fact one of the very beautiful descriptions In the uh, traditional books of hunt and tafsir is that when, when you're sitting in a room and it's partly shaded, meaning obviously you've got walls, so it's partly dark, and then you've got a shaft of sunlight, and in that shaft of sunlight, you see the rising and the descending specks of dust, very minute, which you would normally not be able to see, but you can only see them in the shaft of sunlight, Every one of those specks is known as a dharrah. And in modern Arabic, the atom is referred to as dharra. So quite simply, dharrah does not just mean an ant or a grain or a seed. In Arabic, dharrah means the smallest thing visible or known to man. So the smallest particle, that's what dharrah means, particle. Whether that particle is a grain or a seed or a speck, or whether it's a neuron, an electron, a proton, whether it's an atom or part of an atom. Quite simple. The smallest thing known to man or understood by man is the dharrah. In that light, reflecting the meaning of the verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala <laughs> says in surah al-zalzala, فَمَنْ <laughs> يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا so, whoever performs any good deed to the measure or the weight of a dharra, he shall see it. And whoever commits any sin or evil deed to the weight or measure of a dharra, he shall see it. On Yawmul we will have to be accountable and we will have to answer for. And we will find registered and recorded. And we will find every single one of our deeds present in front of us. So it will all boil down to the scales of justice. So Imam Khali, alayhi, ends the, his book of hadith with the final chapter heading. Mawazin al fala nafsun shay'a." وَإِنْ كَانَ حَبَّةٍ مِّنْ خَرْدَلٍ أَتَيْنَا بها وَكْفَى بِنَا حَاسِبِينَ I've translated it. And then he mentions the following hadith. Sayyiduna Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu relates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi said. كَلِمَتَانِ حَبِيبَتَانِ إِلَى الرَّحْمَانِ خَفِيفَتَانِ عَلَى اللِّسَامِ ثَقِيلَتَانِ فِي الْمِيزَانِ سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَب there are two words which are most beloved to the gracious one, Ar-Rahman. The two are light on the tongue, but heavy on the scales. And the two words are, Subhanallah wa bihamdih, Subhanallah al Glorified be Allah with his praise. Glorified be Allah the majestic. And dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Indeed, is. So far, I haven't mentioned any of the deeds. I've only mentioned two hadiths so far. And both of them only speak of the dhikr of Allah. The hadith of the servant and the kalima, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah. And the end of the hadith says, Nothing weighs down heavier than the name of Allah. And this hadith. And then there's another third hadith, which I'll end with, related by Imam Hakim, rahmatullahi alayhi, and, is a mustadrak, and from others also. From Abu Salma, an, Abu Salma not Abu Salma, but Abu Salma, uh, the feminine name Salma. And Abu Salma, he's famously known as Abu Salma al-Ra'i. He was a shepherd of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He would look after his... Animals, And he was a personal shepherd of the messenger Sallallahu alaihi wasallam) Abu Salma al-Ra'i So he relates this hadith And so do other companions actually It's related by from more than one companion But he says The Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa said Bakhin 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 Bakhim Ma athqalahunna fil mizan Subhanallah Walhamdulillah Wala ilaha illallah Wallahu akbar Prophet sallallahu says Bakhin bakhin This was an Arabic phrase Which refers to an exclamation of joy And marvel at something great It's like someone saying wah wah So in Arabic it's bakhin bakhin So the Prophet sallallahu said Bakhin bakhin Wah wah Well wah wah is in the Asian languages But uh, <laughs> In the Bakhin Bakhin, how great, how great, Bikhamsin, are five things. Ma'athqalahunna fil mizan, how heavy they are in the scales. How heavy they are in the scales. And the five things are Subhanallah. Number two, Alhamdulillah. Number three, La ilaha illallah Number four, Allahu Akbar And number five, SubhanAllah Consider these four And then number five, surprisingly A pious child who passes away And then the father or the parents remain patient over the death of their loved one These five deeds How heavy are they in the scales of Allah? Subhanallah, the dhikr of Allah Azzawajal, is made equivalent, just subhanallah and alhamdulillah and la ilaha illallah and Allahu Akbar are made equivalent to the patience shown by parents at the loss of their loved child. So these are just three hadith which speak of deeds that are heavy in the scales of Allah on the day of judgment, and they are mainly to do with the dhikr of Allah. Azzawajal. And I mentioned about the last hadith of Bukhari. It's quite telling that he ends his whole book with this one hadith. And what's the significance? Because the ulama throughout the centuries have analyzed and studied the book of Bukhari. And one of the famous discussions and topics has always been that what is the purpose of Bukhari for including any particular hadith here in this particular chapter? And why does he mention each particular hadith and each particular chapter in that particular sequence and order? So much so that the ulama have even discussed the final hadith of each book, as you know, Bukhari's voluminous work voluminous work is divided into many books. And each of the books is divided into many chapters. So, (coughs) the ulama have not only discussed the positioning and the placement of each chapter in each book, but they've also discussed the wisdom and the purpose and the objective of the inclusion of each hadith in each chapter. And the order and sequence of those hadith. And they've even gone to the extent of analysing... The final hadith in each book and the ulama have named that baraatul Ikhtitam. And some of the ulama have analysed it and they some ulama well one particular alim is of the opinion that commentator of Bukhari is of the opinion that each final hadith in each book of Bukhari refers to death. It refers to death. So here, this hadith also, in the fi- as a final hadith, not only of this final book of Kitab al-Tawheed at the end of Bukhari, but of the whole book, refers to life after death. And I mention all of this because, again, an interesting question here is, why did Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, produce this hadith as a final hadith? In fact, it's repeated because he's mentioned it elsewhere in Bukhari also, in his collection. So it's a repeat hadith. And what's the wisdom of the final chapter? Bab al fala Shaya. Many explanations are given. I have one humble offering to make in this regard, which is that my mind my, my humble understanding is that when you quite possibly I can't say categorically, but quite possibly, Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi was doing something similar to the Holy Qur'an, which is that what is the final verse of the Holy Qur'an that was revealed? It's a verse of Surah Al-Baqarah in which Allah Azza wa Jalla says, وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا تُرْجَعُونَ فِيهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ ثُمَّ تُوَفَّى كُلَّ نَفْسٍ مَا كَسَبَتْ وَهُمْ لَا يُذْلَمُونَ And fear a day, In which you shall all be returned to Allah. Then. Each soul shall be repaid and requited. In full. Whatever it has earned. And they shall suffer no injustice in the least. That is the final verse. And what's interesting about that final verse is. That when you look at the whole Quran. The Quran has accounts of the peoples of the past. The messengers. (coughs) Histories of certain peoples. It has laws, do's and don'ts. It has laws of marriage, of society, of social life, of transactions, of dealings, laws of marriage and divorce, family laws, laws of trading, laws of commerce, laws of worship, laws of inheritance, laws of society, laws of behaviour. The Qur'an contains so much, but despite everything, and Quite interestingly, what's the next verse after this final verse of the Quran? What's the next verse? What Allah? Because the verses of the Quran aren't in order of their revelation, nor are the Surahs in order of their revelation. So we we have the final verse by revelation towards the end of Surah Al Baqarah, not right at the end, but towards the end of the surah. And what's the next verse? Both of these verses are unique. The next verse is Ya أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا تَدَايَنْتُمْ بِذَيْنٍ إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ O believers, when you lend and borrow to and from each other any credit or loan for a fixed period, then record it, make receipts. The unique thing about this verse is that it's the longest verse in the Qur'an. It's the longest verse. It's actually longer than some of the surahs towards the end. It's longer than al qariah So it's the longest verse of the Qur'an. And what does it contain? No laws about worship. No instructions about worship. Not even to do with the day of judgment. Nothing to do with the hereafter. It's to do with trade and commerce. And recording loans and making receipts. But prior to that we have this one short final verse of the Qur'an. And fear a day in which you shall all be returned. Why I mention this is. That just like the verse after. The Quran contains so much. Laws, teachings, directions. But at the end of it all. The goal and the purpose and the objective of our lives. On earth. Just, uh, along with all the teachings of the Quran. After all of that. Is what is a hereafter. Is the akhirah. Even though the Quran mentions so much more. The final Departing farewell message of the Quran is and fear a day in which you shall all be returned to Allah, and every soul shall be repaid and requited in full what it has earned, and they shall suffer no injustice. That is the final farewell message of the Quran. In my humble understanding, what Imam Bukhari was trying to do was also the same, which is just like the Quran, the whole of Bukhari contains so much. Hadith relates to almost every single topic. But let us not get lost. Let us not fail to see, let us not fail to see the wood for the trees. Let us not fail to see our primary goal and objective, which is that although the hadith contains so much and the entire collection Contains so much, Bukhari ends it with a final message similar to that of the Quran. Bab, Chapter And we shall establish the scales of justice on the day of resurrection, and no soul shall suffer any injustice in the least. And even if it is something to the measure and weight of a mustard seed, we shall produce it. And we are sufficient as reckoners and accountants. And then he mentions this hadith of the scales of deeds on the day of judgment. This is what it is. This is what what it will all boil down to. Whether this pan of the scales is heavier with good deeds. Or whether this pan of the scales is heavier with our sins and misdeeds. If scales of good deeds are heavy, then then he shall be in a life content and if the scales are light then for is abode is the is the abyss ha <laughs> refers to a place in which a person continuously falls a drop a never-ending drop it's related to Yahweh. and it means a never-ending drop that's the abyss, a bottomless pit, a bottomless abyss. For ummu so his abode is the abyss. Some of you may be questioning. Um means mother. Um means mother. So here, what does when in Arabic um means mother? But um in Arabic also means what does a mother do? A mother is a source. A mother is a source from whom a child is born. A mother is the origin. A mother is shelter. A mother is refuge and protection. So anything which is a place of shelter, refuge, an origin, a source, an abode, an original home, all of these things are called um in Arabic, all of them. So here Allah says, what will be his shelter, his source, his origin, his final abode? What will be his refuge? It will be Hawiyah, the abyss. وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا And what will tell you or inform you of what truly is the Hawiyah? نَارٌ حَامِيَ The Qur'an dramatically ends the surah with the words, a blazing fire. That will be the abode. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable all of us to understand. May Allah make us amongst those who appreciate the message of the Holy Qur'an and who prepare for their reckoning on the day of judgment. May Allah give us tawfiq to realize our true purpose and destiny. To realize the reality of this life and the reality of the life after this one. May Allah make us amongst those who are successful since their scales of deeds are heavy with good. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riadul haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on double zero double four one two one double seven one three triple seven, or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions. All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting, or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.